Good morning once again. Uh, if you have a Bible, uh, grab it, and you're going to go to First Peter. Um, there should be one in a seat back around you in the seat you're sitting on. If you have your own Bible with you, you might want to throw a bookmark or a place marker somewhere in First Peter because we're starting a new series this morning, and we're going to be in First Peter for a while. Um, so you're going towards the back of the Bible. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and then keep going way back past Hebrews. If you get to Revelation, if Jesus is back yet, you've gone too far, come back a little bit. Um, as you turn in there, I'd like to thank everybody who helped uh, clean up yesterday. We had a group come in to help wipe down and sanitize the place. Everybody who's helped sign up uh, to help clean after services. So after every service, we are going to um, wipe down the, the chairs, wipe down all the common areas. So uh, everyone who's already signed up to help do that over this next month, thank you very much. If you haven't signed up, please send me an email, pastortimcf at gmail.com. Let me know when you can help. Uh, many hands make light work. So the early group, I'm just saying we timed them. The early group got done very quickly, so we'll see what the afternoon group gets done, how quickly they can get done. Uh, we'll just make it a competition. Um, so we're going to be in First Peter this morning, a new series looking at, uh, we're calling it Solid Ground, looking at how to find solid ground in unstable days. This year is all about step-by-step growth, right? Regardless of everything else that's been going on, this is still our 90-year anniversary as a church. We are still celebrating God's faithfulness for 90 years uh, here at CF. And we've been talking about how uh, through that, we don't get to 90 years as a church just by luck. It's not just you woke up one day and we're at 90 years. It's generations of step-by-step choices and generations of step-by-step growth as individuals and as a community. And so we've been talking about what does it look like to take a step in our faith as individuals and as a community? What does it look like to take a step to get closer to God in 2020? And so everything we've been doing on Sundays has kind of been geared toward that idea. We started with uh, the names of God, talking about who God is. If we're going to get to know him, we're going to grow in having a relationship with him. You've got to know who he is. So we spent a long time talking about the names of God and the character of God that was revealed there. And then we all went home for three months And while we did that, we talked about Daniel. And we looked at Daniel as kind of a case study for, okay, this is a person who lived that life, who was faithful to God. And God was faithful to him, even in unstable, ugly kind of days. Daniel was taken from his home as a teenager, was lived under oppression as basically a slave throughout most of his whole life, and was faithful to God, and God was faithful to him. And so that brings us now to 1 Peter um, and First Peter is instruction on how we are to live out this faith that we claim to have. This book is one I uh, hold very dear to me. It's one of the first books um, I used to teach a boys' Bible study a long time ago. And the very first book we ever went through as, as a group was First Peter. So I'm very attached to this book. Um, and this book is all about how we can live out our faith. How, what does it look like to pursue stability in unstable days? How do we find our feet on solid ground? We do that by going to Scripture. We, go that, we do that by letting God show us and instruct us and challenge us, encourage us, rebuke us, and inform us of how to best live the life that he made us to live. And that's really the whole point of First Peter. He says it at the very end of the letter in chapter 5. He says, I am writing to you, exhorting you, and declaring that this is the true grace of God, so stand firm in it. This is a letter about encouraging on how to live out this Christian life. And it is a practical letter. Over these next couple of weeks, we are going to be dealing with things from politics to marriage 
to community, to suffering. All of those things show up in First Peter. So um, I'm really excited. I'm happy and super pumped that you guys are here. I'm happy we're still online. We still got people at home watching. So um, let's pray, and then we can uh, jump in and get to work. So let's, uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for who you are. We thank you for being the God who cares, the God who loves, the God who is intentionally committed to us, who is intimately involved in our lives. God, as we open your word, I pray that you would help us, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give us hearts to believe and minds to understand, give us feet to live out what you call us to do. Lord, it is a great blessing that we have this building, we have this ability to come back together and be physically present. That we have the technology to be able to worship via the internet. Lord, all of these things we do because we want to pursue you. We want to engage with you. We want to connect with you. So Lord, as we open your word this morning, we pray that you would reveal yourself. Show up and speak to us as you promised to do. As I preach, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. So we're starting in 1 Peter 1. It's on the screen behind me. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Stop there. Yeah, it's that kind of sermon series where we go two verses at a time, folks. Yep. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Let's talk about Peter. Peter was one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus, and he is often considered the leader of the disciples. Whenever the list of disciples is mentioned in the Gospels, Peter is always listed first. He is part of the be- a vital part of the beginning of the church as it happens after Jesus is resurrected. He is really the one who spearheads the ministry of bringing the gospel to the Gentile people, to the non-Jewish people. The only person mentioned more in the gospels than Peter is Jesus, which makes sense. It's about him. Peter also speaks more than about any, just about anybody else in the gospels outside of Jesus. The whole first half of the book of Acts focuses on Peter and his ministry. Peter is our everyman. You know, sometimes you read the Bible and it can be hard to connect, right? We looked at Daniel, and Daniel's one of those guys, you don't see a whole lot of his flaws show up. And you say, I have trouble connecting with him. He seems like he had everything all together, and I'm lucky to be wearing pants. Like, it's hard. And sometimes you have these men and women of the Bible, and we hold them up as these pillars of faith as they were, and it's hard to sometimes connect with them. But then we get Peter. Peter, everybody can relate to in some way, because He's like us, and we are like him. Peter's walk with Christ is one of one step forward, two steps back. And then for Peter, he takes like a side step, and he loops around and gets lost. Like, Peter is up and down at all times. After he meets Jesus, he has these amazing mountaintop moments, and then he also has these deep, dark valley moments where he's stuck in the muck. In Matthew 14, the disciples are in a boat, and they're crossing the sea, and this storm is beating them up over and over again. And they look out, and now they see a ghost walking on the water, and they freak out. And Jesus says, no, it's not a ghost, it's me. And Peter's the one who says, Lord, if it's really you, 
You call me to come out in the water, and I can walk on the water. I know it. Jesus says, come. And Peter gets out of the boat, which is mind-boggling on itself, but then he is walking on the water with Jesus. And it's amazing. And this beautiful shared moment between them. But in the midst of the miracle, Peter is overwhelmed by the size of the waves and the strength of the wind, and he begins to lose faith in Jesus and sink. One step forward, two steps back. In Matthew 16, Jesus asks the disciples, who do you say that I am? And it's Peter who is the one who says, you are the Christ, you are the Son of God. And Jesus is gushing with pride. Over him, He says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Blessed are you. There's no way you could have known that unless God the Father revealed it to you and you listened, paid attention, and understood. So, amen. That's awesome. I'm glad you finally get it, Peter. And then about three sentences later, Jesus is teaching on the resurrection, teaching on the suffering that he was going to go through at the cross. And Peter pulls Jesus aside and he says to him, Jesus, don't talk like that. Nobody wants to hear about you dying. And Jesus tells him, get behind me, Satan. Mountaintop, valley. John 6, Jesus is teaching, and because of the radical nature of the gospel, and because he's declaring himself to be the bread of life, people start bailing out. People don't want to take up their cross and follow him. And everybody starts leaving, and Jesus turns to his disciples, and he says, are you guys going to leave too? And it's Peter who stands and says, Lord, where are we going to go? You're the only one who has the words of eternal life. In Matthew 17, Peter is there when Jesus is transfigured on the mountain. Literally a mountaintop moment for Peter. Moses and Elijah show up. But in that moment, he says something that fails to understand the importance and majesty of Jesus in comparison to these Old Testament leaders. Peter speaks up saying, it says in the Bible, he didn't know what to say, so he just starts talking. And what he says is so ridiculous that God the Father has to break in with the big loud dad voice and say, Peter, stop talking. Just listen to Jesus. Peter's one step forward, two steps back. In Matthew 26, Peter stands up at dinner and says, Jesus, if I got to die with you, I'm with you to the end. There's no way I forsake you. And it is Peter who, before the rooster crows twice, denies Jesus three times. I shared these to help us understand who it is that's writing to us in this letter. He's not writing from an ivory tower. That is, Peter is not a perfect man who has it all figured out. He is another guy. He is a work in progress, pursuing God the best he can. He tries, he fails, he continues on. So when he writes this very direct and personal and practical instructions, it is not from a disconnected corporate suit, but rather a fellow Christian in the trenches, learning and instructing and trying to help his brothers and sisters, us, grow and be more like Christ. I also wanted to share this part and aspect of Peter's life because I want us to, be, to remember that your past does not define your future. Just because you have behind you a trail of sin and rebellion and wrong choices, that does not mean God can't or won't use you for his glory. Yes, there are consequences to our actions, and we have to deal with those consequences. But there is nothing unforgivable. And if God wants to use you, he's going to use you, regardless of what's in your past. It is Peter who sits on a beach after the resurrection. He sits there with Jesus. Just days before, he wouldn't even bring the name Jesus out of his mouth as he denied knowing his Savior. And now they sit on a beach together, and Jesus publicly restores Peter. He commands Peter, feed my sheep, take care of my people, lead my church, Peter. 
Your past does not define your future. God does. So we have the opening of this letter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I like that letters back then started with who wrote it, so you didn't have to read it and then realize it was written by some nobody. You can know right off the top, oh, I have to pay attention to this. This is from Peter. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle means sent one. He was sent by Jesus himself, sent to proclaim the good news of the gospel, that God came to earth, that God died for us in our place to pay the penalty for our sin and for our rebellion, and that God rose from the dead, declaring his power over sin and death and hell, and he gives us forgiveness and grace and mercy to anyone who would put their faith in Christ and Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins. There is forgiveness and grace and mercy to be had. He was sent by, Peter was sent by Jesus, which means Peter understands his authority comes from Jesus. It doesn't come from him. Peter has the authority to write this letter only because Jesus gave it to him. Peter rightly and humbly understood his relation to who he was in relation to who God was. And so we have this author, Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ. Who's he writing to? To those who are the elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. To the elect exiles. That's a theme we're going to talk about this morning. And it's going to get carried on throughout 1 Peter. To be an elect exile. To be elect means to be chosen. To be a Christian. To be a Christian, you were chosen by God. You who are saved by grace through faith, you are the object of God's loving, sovereign, gracious choice. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was doing an internship, and the internship ended, and I put together this proposal to get brought on in a part-time staff uh, capability where I'd be pretty much doing a lot of the same things I had been doing throughout the internship and then add a few more extra things to kind of help grow some new areas. Uh, and I presented it to the leadership, and the leadership said, you know what, uh, we're not interested. Uh, if you want to keep doing what you've been doing with the internship, cool, we'll, we'll try and help you out with a little bit more money, but um, we're not really interested, and if you want to stay, cool. If not, that's up to you. And at the same time, I knew of a pastor who was coming to Chicago to plant a church, and I got to know him, and uh, him and I got to talking, and, and we became friends, and I remember a conversation where we're on the phone, uh, and, and Mark said, um, Tim, I want you to join the launch team. I want you to be part of the team that helps start this church. I want you to be part of this. And so it was not a hard decision for me to decide, I'm going to go with the church plan. There was no money there, but I was wanted. That's a thing that we all have deep built within us. We want to be wanted. We want to be desired. If you are elect, God chose you. God wants you. God desired you, chose you, and called you to himself. And if you aren't a Christian, you haven't put your faith in him. Let me tell you, God still wants you. God still desires you. God loves you and made you and knows you. We are the elect exiles of the dispersion. An exile is a pilgrim, a sojourner, an alien, a temporary resident, a foreigner, a traveler. Basically, you are not at home. And you are always aware this isn't your home. This phrase, exiles of the dispersion, was used to talk about the Jewish people when uh, Babylon took over Jerusalem in the Old Testament in the time of Daniel, what we just got done studying. Uh, the Jews were spread out. They were spread out around the land and they were part of the dispersion. And then even in the New Testament, 
um, the Pharisees, Paul, starts to um, persecute the church, and they scatter, and they take the gospel with them, and the gospel spreads. Peter is here writing to Christians in general, reminding them, this is not your home. You are in exile. See, where you are from often influences, and it may, in some cases, define you as a person. But if you are a Christian, you might be a resident of the planet Earth, you might be a citizen of the United States, you might be by birth or by transfer a Chicagoan, but if you are a Christian, this is not your home. Your identity, your citizenship, your passport claims heaven as your home. So as long as you aren't in heaven, you are in exile, you are dispersed. Peter here, we see, writes to five churches, and those five churches are located in today what would be Turkey. If you looked at a map, modern-day Turkey is basically where this area is that these five churches are located. And what would happen was a church would receive this letter from Peter. Everyone would be super pumped. They'd all gather together. They'd read the letter straight through all together. Um, They'd keep it for a few days, and then somebody would send the letter, would take the letter to the next church, and then so on and so forth. So it would basically be like if someone wrote, uh, wrote to the churches of Roscoe Village, West Lakeview, North Center, Avondale, Wrigleyville, It's a bunch of churches who are near each other, but they have different makeups of different people. They have different leaders. So what this means that this letter is addressed to a much broader audience than some of the other letters of the New Testament, where you have the letter to the Corinthians, that's the church in Corinth. You have the letter to the Ephesians, the the church in Ephesus. You're writing to a specific group. Here, Peter is writing to a much broader audience. And so that means, because he's writing to a broader audience, That kind of removes for us this idea of, well, this was written to a specific people at a specific time, and so it doesn't really apply to me, so I'm not going to pay attention. That's a cop-out that people use when they don't want to obey what the Bible has to say. Yes, we need to always keep in mind, we are not the original intended audience of 1 Peter. right? He was not writing thinking, hey, this is going to get read in 2020 in Chicago. That's not what Peter had in mind. So we have to take into account he is writing to specific people, but it's a very broad audience. And when you read the Bible, when you read Scripture, if you read something that you don't like or something that doesn't match with your experience or match with your desired experience, and your immediate gut reaction is, well, it's written to different people at a different time, so it doesn't matter to me, You're not coming to the text humbly. You're not coming to the text actually wanting to hear from God. You're coming to the text wanting God to tell you what you already believe so that you can justify your actions. When we open God's word, we got to come to it humbly expecting to hear from God. Peter is writing to elect exiles. That's us. We still currently are elect exiles. It's an idea he's going to come back to in chapter 2, and this this phrase speaks to our vertical relationship with God and our horizontal relationship with the world. Vertically, we are elect. We are chosen by God. Chosen for what? Jesus tells us that we are called to be the light of the world, right? That's the vision of CF, that we want to be a lighthouse in Roscoe Village, Chicago, and the world. We are to be the light of the world. Peter's going to say in chapter 2, that we are called to keep our conduct honorable as to glorify God. You were chosen with a purpose. We say often that when you become a Christian, you are saved from the wrath of hell, but you are saved to be a blessing to others. Your status as chosen and elect is not part of, okay, you became a Christian, so now you're part of the cool secret cool kids club. 
No, it's to be a light. It's to shine and point others to Christ in all that you do. That's part of this letter's intent, to help us do that. Christian, if you have been chosen by God, then let me remind you, you are chosen. You are elect. You are his children. You are redeemed, restored, renewed, forgiven, righteous, set apart, adopted, justified, accepted, loved, wanted. You are his And we cannot lose sight of that because when we lose sight of our true identity in and through Christ, when we lose sight of that, we find ourselves wandering away from God, wandering into the darkness, and away from the light and blessing and protection that God provides. Christian, live as one who has been chosen by God because you are elect. Vertically, we are elect. Horizontally, we are exiles. This isn't home. I don't think i got to do much convincing because of the fact that we're spread out and wearing masks, this place ain't right. Something is wrong here. We live in a broken, fallen world. This world wars against everything that Scripture has to say. It's because we are exiles that we find ourselves at odds with culture, with relationships, with the media, with every element of everything. Because this isn't home. We said last week, every decision, if you are a Christian, every decision from when you open your eyes to when you shut your eyes at night should go through the filter of, I am a Christian. What you eat, what you drink, what you wear, where you live, how you work, all of those things should go through the filter of you being a Christian and how does this glorify God. And as you do that, you will be reminded regularly that this isn't home because the world is broken and full of sin and we long to be home in perfect peace with God. I'll give you an example. Today, the big buzz is is cancel culture, right? If you have something in your past, if you have a blemish, a sin, something bad in your past, and you are trying to move forward, trying to pursue a second chance, trying to use your voice and stand up, you are shut down by the masses. Again, yes, there are consequences for our actions. We have to take responsibility for the things we do. But I also know that I have more than enough sin in my past. And when it comes to my experience with Christ... I have been given not only a second chance, not only a third chance, but fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh and grace upon grace upon grace. See, the world says, cancel, shut them down. Christ says, you are called to be a people who forgive and show grace and mercy because you were forgiven and shown grace and mercy. We are at odds with the world we live in because we are elect and because we are exiles. And these roles of being elect exiles, they didn't just, it's not just happenstance. It's not an accident. They are intentional from God, and that's what we see in verse 2. We see that we are elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Paul says in Ephesians 1 that we were chosen before the foundation of the world. That means before there was anything, before there was let there be light, before there was the table of contents in your Bible, before there was the fancy cover, before there was anything, when it was just Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which we see all three of them in this verse too, before there was anything, there was, there was God and he chose us. God chose, God elected us before anything else. Which means our election is not about us. It's not about our impressiveness. God didn't watch us interact with this world and say, man, that person's real impressive, I want them on my team. No, no. Paul says in Romans, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Before the foundation of the world, we were chosen. The exhortation to Jeremiah, God tells him, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Which means the choosing is all about God and his love and compassion and mercy and grace that he would call us to be his children. Not based on anything we did or didn't do to earn or win his favor. That's grace. Getting what you don't deserve, that's grace. We didn't even have the chance to show if we deserved it. We don't. God chose us anyway. And as we talk about God's foreknowledge, the very fact that Christians were scattered in the dispersion, that Christians were under oppression, that Rome barely considered them people, all of this God knew. Which means nothing surprises him, nothing catches him off guard. He never has to pivot or improvise how things are going to go. Which means God knew 2020 was coming. God knew we were going to go through what we've gone through, and God knows what's coming ahead. He was not shocked like most of us have been shocked. My guess is he's probably been sad and grieved and angry, but not shocked. So when we find ourselves talking about where do we find solid ground, I'll give you a spoiler for how this sermon series is going to go. Solid ground is found in God alone. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. We can find our sure footing in God because he's not shocked or overwhelmed or confused by anything that this world is throwing at us. Instead, he is our rest and our refuge and safe, stable place to be built up and strengthened and renewed so that we can then go back out into the darkness, into the world, and be these lights he has made us to be and shine and point people to him. We are elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And that doesn't just mean that he knew we were going to get saved. But rather, we were chosen before anything based on nothing that has to do with us and everything that has to do with who he is. We are elect exiles by the foreknowledge of God the Father, and we are elect exiles in the sanctification of the Spirit. Sanctification is a big church word. It means being made more and more like Jesus. It's a process. It's a process that begins when God originally calls us to himself in salvation. And then it's a lifelong process of God forming and shaping and molding and teaching us to be more and more like Christ. It's the very mission statement of this church. CF is called to be a people who are growing and becoming Christ-like and proclaiming Christ. And so ultimately it culminates on the day we meet Jesus and are made fully like him. So we are given this new role and identity as elect exiles by and through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. We are elect, saved, and made more and more like an exile because more and more we understand this is not our home and we live in antithesis to the place that we, have been, we live. And as the Holy Spirit does the work of making us more and more like Jesus, we find ourselves more and more at odds with this world. Basically, it's like this. I've been told this is how it goes, but when you're looking to get in shape, you got to cut out eating all the garbage food. So that disqualifies me right off the bat. you got to cut out all the carbs and sugars and all that kind of stuff. you got to eat clean, eat healthy. you got to try and, you know, down a salad every once in a while. you got to work out. And if you're consistent with these things, what happens? You will experience a physical transformation, right? You start to gain muscle, lose fat have more endurance, all of these different things. That sounds good. I should try it. Same can be said for your spiritual growth. 
You cut out the garbage. You cut out the stuff that is weighing you down. You cut out the voices and the media outlets and the social media and all these places that are just weighing you down with noise and garbage. You cut that out. You start feeding yourself truth. You start engaging in conversation with God. You start putting yourself in community. You start doing that amongst other people, working together towards this. And you start to see spiritual growth, spiritual transformation. That's the work of the Holy Spirit sanctifying you. Taking that stuff that you are putting in, taking the quality truth you are putting in and helping you to understand it, helping you to live it out. And the more and more you are maturing in that process, the more and more you find yourself realizing just how at odds and how much of an exile you truly are in this world. We are elect exiles by the foreknowledge of God. He chose us before anything through the power of the Holy Spirit in him sanctifying us. And we are elect exiles for obedience to Jesus and for sprinkling with his blood. You are chosen as an exile for obedience. That's the purpose. That's the point. What does it mean to be obedient to Christ? It means to follow the commands of Christ. And what does he say the two big ones are? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God. Love people. That's what we're called to do. Love God, love people. You were elect. You were chosen. You were saved from hell to be a blessing to others. You are being sanctified, made more and more like Jesus, so that you can pursue this ability to be a blessing to others. And it is through obedience that we actually execute what it is we were saved to do. But none of that is possible without the blood of Jesus. I found this out this week. In in the Old Testament, there are three places where people were sprinkled with blood. It's gross, but stay with me. When the covenant between God and Israel was established at Mount Sinai. Number two, when Aaron and his sons were made into uh, the priests of Israel. And number three, when a leper was healed to be made clean, to be able to go back into worship and engage with the community, they had to be sprinkled with blood, which seems counterintuitive. I wasn't there. All three of these things happen to us through Jesus at the cross. Jesus establishes a covenant with us, not based on us, but based on his perfect righteousness, that if you would put your faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, that and that alone saves you. A new covenant, not contract, not if you do this, I do this, And if you break the contract, I'm out. God says, covenant, I'm going to love you no matter what you do. I am here for you always. A new covenant is established through Jesus and his blood at the cross. Number two, we are made into priests in the Old Testament sense of the word. We're going to expound on that in chapter two. But basically, the Old Testament priests were called to serve one another and go to to God on behalf of one another. That is a role that Christians play. We pray on behalf of one another. We serve one another. We are made into priests through the blood of Jesus. And number three, we have been made clean by the blood of Jesus. 1 John 1.7 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. Hebrews 9 says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. 
What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It is by the foreknowledge and choice of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of God the Holy Spirit, that we are called to the obedience of God the Son through the blood of God that was spilt at the cross, making us elect exiles. This is a powerful and altogether supernatural situation and call that we have find ourselves in. And this call to obedience necessitates what Peter prays over this letter and prays over us at the end of verse 2, that grace and peace would be multiplied to us. May grace and peace be multiplied. This is not just a cute saying or a spiritually cordial way to begin or end a letter. Grace and peace are essential for us to walk and live as these elect exiles chosen by God to intentionally be different and live in different contrast and conflict with the world we are in. Grace upon grace upon grace is needed because while we are elect and we are chosen by God, we aren't fully sanctified. While God may see us and treat us as fully justified and fully righteous, we still sin, we still rebel, and we still need a whole lot of grace. We need grace from God to us. We need grace from us to ourselves. We need grace with one another. We need grace from others. See, this call to be elect exiles is hard and exhausting and can feel overwhelming and we aren't going to do it perfect all the time. And so grace is not just a nicety. It is not a fun extra addition if we can get it, but it is a necessity for us to live as God has made us and called us to live. The same goes for peace. Peace is not just the absence of conflict, but rather the building up of each other and seeing each other thrive. That's what the Bible means when he says peace, shalom. We need that. We need to not just not be at war with God. We need to be more than just neutral with God. We need to see him working in us and through us and most importantly, for us. That peace with God was made possible through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. For those who would put their faith in him, The elect are no longer rebels and enemies, but now sons and daughters who have peace with God. And once you have peace with God, you can seek after that within yourself and with others and with peace within the circles of influence you find yourself in. Grace and peace were common Hebrew and Greek greetings. Grace to you, unearned favor to you was a Greek way of saying hello and goodbye, actually. And in Jewish circles, They would ask, how is your shalom? How is your peace? And so Peter here, and Paul does it in his letters as well, takes both of these greetings from these two different groups who now find themselves together in the church, and they say, you need both. Regardless of where your background is, you need grace and peace. Grace and peace with God for yourself and with one another, and as you live as exiles in the world, you're going to need both of these things. May you not just have it, but... Peter says, may you have it and be multiplied to you. Grace upon grace, peace upon peace. The reality is we are elect exiles. And may we rejoice in that fact and be thankful that we are elect by the God of all existence, the one who holds all things in his hands. He chose to save us. 
He would continue to save others. He is patient enough to give everyone another day, to give them this day so that they might come to know him. But also we got to realize that our election is so that we might not have to just endure, not just get through, not just survive being exiles, but thrive as we live here longing and looking toward our home. See, we aren't running out the clock and just killing time until Jesus comes back. We live in obedience to Christ through the working of the Holy Spirit in and through us to be a blessing to those God has placed in our lives. And so to do this, we need humility. We need one another, and we need grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy, peace upon peace, as we seek to be obedient to love God and love people. And so we're going to pray to that end, and then we're going to say amen and My prayer for us is that we would go out and not just pray it, but actually live it out. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for today. Lord, we thank you that you call us to be yours, that you call us to be your children. And that's not just a title with no responsibility, that's a weighty title. Do you call us and call us to be part of what you're doing on this earth, to redeem all things back to yourself, to point all people back to you. But as we do that, as we live into being elect, being chosen, Lord, we also realize we are exiles in this place. That this world is broken and hard and messy and ugly. Lord, we need you We need you to be able to live into this obedience you call us to. We need that Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to remember that we have that Holy Spirit in us and through us. Lord, let us never take for granted the gospel and the good news that Christ died for us, that Christ rose again, and that Christ gives us the ability to stand before you justified, righteous, and holy. And that because of the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to be these lights in the world you have made us to be. Lord, let us go out and live that out. Live like we actually believe the words that we claim to believe. Heavenly Father, if anyone doesn't know you this morning, I pray that today they would understand that on their own, they are condemned to to hell because of their sin. No matter how good they might think they are, they are condemned. That on their own, they stand guilty. But that one day we... There's the ability one day to stand before you as seen as holy and righteous and is not based on us, but based on the perfect work of Jesus. That anyone that doesn't know you, hasn't put their faith in Christ and him alone for the forgiveness of their sins, that they would come to do that today, that the Holy Spirit would work in their hearts to break down whatever barriers and walls they have put up, that the Holy Spirit would do what he does to call people to yourself so that they might go from rebels and enemies to children of God that they might live into this obedience that God has called them to. Lord, as we go into the world to be the lights you have made us to be, give us the strength, give us the perseverance. Let us remember that you are with us and for us always as we live as these elect exiles. We thank you and we praise you. Amen.